This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, this is The Property Show. I'm Keith Kam. Recently, there was a report on the BBC about Forest City, that sprawling development project in Johor overlooking Singapore's Tuas area, built by China's largest property developer, Country Garden, in 2016. This is a $100 billion mega project under the Belt and Road Initiative, touted to be an eco-friendly metropolis featuring a golf course, water park, offices, bars and restaurants, and hopefully home to nearly 1 million people. But today, only 15% of the entire project has been built and just over 1% is occupied. To help us unpack the impact that China has on Malaysia and the Southeast Asian property market, we are talking this morning to Daniel Ho, the Group Managing Director of Juai IQ. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Thank you. Thank you. Daniel, as I was talking earlier in the intro, Forest City is really a very stark reminder that not everything will last. It started in 2016 at a time when the property market in China was booming. So taking lessons from Country Garden first, what happened? You know, like China, Country Garden took on too much debt right? and uh, they struggled to repay it. Like any big project, what the founder and vision to what exactly that happens on the ground can differ. Okay. So market change, interest rate rules, and they were caught. Pretty much that was a contagion that happened with other developers in China as well, right? From Juai IQI's perspective, how bad was the situation that you all notice? We see that there is a correction that is taking place in the market. Yeah. Well, one for sure is, as a reminder, China has been growing rapidly for the last 40 years. Correct. And you see, you know, they are able to uplift more than 800 million people out of the poverty. And that pace has continued on, even though when the rate of growth has slowed down. So definitely, you know, a real estate market in China is undergoing some correction and this is needed. But I mean, this is not something that should be surprising, right? I mean, I've seen quite a number of projects in China itself that's abandoned and for whatever reason, nobody seems to want to move in. Do you see that situation, did it get worse because of the pandemic or the warning signs were always there? I would say I would classify China cities into Tier 1, Tier 2, Tier 3 and Tier 4. That's right. So when you look at Tier 1 and Tier 2, basically hardly you see any abandoned project. I think where you have a rapid growth in terms of urbanization rate in China, and that is really driving demand. And on the ground, the purchase intensity is still there. People are still buying. There's a lot of bargain hunting that is happening in Tier 1 and Tier 2. I think the issue will stem from tier three and tier four cities, whereby you know some of the developers they is quite adventurous. They they continue to develop in cities, mm. in these areas, and that is actually where you you do not see substantial demand there. This is where the mismatch is happening. And just like you know, in Malaysia, we do have our own case of overhang properties. Yeah, I was just going to ask about that. Is there's a similarity? It's something that is similar to Malaysia, but the quantum is very different because uh, in Malaysia, our overhang properties are basically located in tier 3 areas, you know, tier 4 areas. 
So what does Juwai IQI and indeed other property market watchers make of the project in Forest City? Is there a chance to revive it? Because in the BBC piece, they did say that they were confident of reviving it. Do you think that's possible? I think in the game of property, absolutely, it's very likely and very possible. One of the things that uh, when you look at property, I personally invested in in, in a wrong property. Not Forest City? Many, many, many years ago, okay. the time when I was about to get married, there uh-huh. was something like uh, 20 plus years ago. My mother-in-law told me, hey, there's a second PJ coming up. You know, that second place, you know, PJ is in uh, Bukit Beruntung, okay. uh, developed by Talam. Ah, I and know a lot of friends who invested there that's and right. burnt as well. That's right. I think uh, the narrative, it was so good. Mm. And uh, you also, you know, people like us, you know, we have a lot of uh, optimism about the next airport being relocated there, right? So what happened was I invested there because practically I'm a Rawang guy, you know, when mm. I was small, you know, I lived there. But the project was sort of like abandoned. Okay. And then the delivery was, it took on longer than usual. And and right after delivery, the price of property we bought in at about 100000 it, it It crashed to close to about like 30%. So ended up, you know, property being valued at 70%. So like any difficult project with such a big undertaking, you might have growing pains initially. Mm. You go through, you know, difficult period. But today, if you look back at Rawang, this Bukit Purutung area, the property prices is selling at about 300 plus thousand. So one thing about property, what goes down, it won't, it moves in cycle. And when it goes through certain difficult moments, it will come back again. If you don't mind sharing with us, what's your experience there? Have you recouped all your whatever you've put in? I more than recoup what I put in. I actually make money. In fact, I'm, I'm still holding the, un- the unit until now. And, uh, you know, being current, current, current transaction is very healthy. And if I want to liquidate, you know, I can, I can you know, not not only get back my initial capital investment, yeah. uh, gaining from the rental yield as well as uh, right now, if I were to sell, I'm making money. But what, but what is Bukit Beruntung like right now? Because the last time I was there, it looked like a very desolate place, not very different from the way BBC described Forest City as. Uh, right now, it's very lively. There's a lot of locals that bought into it. You have also uh, Aeon, who is our big supermarket here, you know, it's already, you know, build up Aeon, you have schools. Mm. So a lot of things is going on. People is really uh, moving in. I think this is a good sign. So, I mean, coming Similarly, back- similarly, yeah. for Forest City, I do expect that this pro- particular project will go through the same because I think if you look at the relationship between some of the major hubs like Shanghai and Suzhou, Suzhou is an industrial park. Yeah. Shanghai is the main city. You look at Philippines, Manila and Makati, Makati is the financial center. Manila is the old city, which is also the capital. And um, this forest city, and uh, it has a relationship with uh, Johor Singapore. Johor Bahru and Singapore. Yeah. Johor Bahru and Singapore. And it's quite well connected. Exactly. Plus, I think it's got a duty-free status as well. Amazing. Right? And yeah. moving forward, I think you have a bottle-up situation in Singapore whereby you look at Jurong as their industrial area. Many of their offices and factories is looking for relocation because as they move up towards the value chain uh, and the lower manufacturing sector got to be relocated and what more, you know, in terms of office space, in terms of cost of operation, in terms of potential 
factories, mm-hmm. Johor Bahru is the next location to look at. Recently, there was a South China Morning Post feature that talked about how Southeast Asia's commercial property markets are becoming more popular with mainland Chinese investors. Why is this the right time now? Has the property crisis in China sort of abated and that they are they, they seem to be more uh, interested in, in putting their money outside the country? I think if you look at the Chinese buying behaviour, Post-COVID, it is more pragmatic. You look at every country in ASEAN, say, for example, Singapore. As far as Singapore is concerned, the largest trading partner for Singapore is China, constitute about 15%. Malaysia, the same. Largest trading partner is China, constitute about 15.5%. Indonesia, largest trading partner is also China, 23%. Vietnam, largest trading partner is China, 22%. Thailand, largest trading partner is also China, 14%. So all in all, there is a lot of economic activity that is happening in this region with China. And it's only natural that, you know, like uh, when when China buys into properties, right now what we are seeing is a very pragmatic approach from China because it's fueled by corporate expansion. Mm -hmm. And many of these buying behaviour are fueled by business transaction. For example, like in Malaysia, we have transacted a couple of very significant deals where it involved biotechnology company in China, listed in China, and they expanded into Penang. Right. And this is where, when they look at, you know, the countries that they want to go in, which country offers them the best in terms of supply chain, in terms of labor, in terms of markets, potential, so on and so forth. So Southeast Asia is definitely within their radar. Wow, okay, there's a lot of competition there. But before we get into that, like with individual Chinese investors who want to buy overseas, what challenges do they face to invest overseas by the Chinese government? I think right now, as far as individual buying is concerned, repatriation of funds is a major issue. For many of them, you know, you have a pen up in terms of they just can't buy. Okay. If they are unable to repatriate. So instead of doing that, some of them would repatriate slowly. And then uh, over time, you know, when they are ready, they will make the purchase. But more so today, we are looking a lot more on the corporate buying. You know, Daniel, during the whole COVID-19 pandemic thing, when international borders reopened, everyone was traveling like no business. There was like revenge travel, right? Mm -hmm. Do you see a revenge property buying, so to speak, amongst Chinese investors in this region? At this moment, I don't see a revenge buying because they have become more pragmatic and less speculative buying behaviour. And I think this is good. This augurs very well for the region. But I'm seeing a very strong, sustained interest in buying for reasons of building business mm-hmm. businesses across this entire region. And this is also in line with the Belt and Road Initiative that the Chinese government is also pushing forward. On the Property Show this week, we are talking to Daniel Ho, the Group Managing Director of International Real Estate Technology Group, IQI. On the other side of the break, we zoom in to how the property market in Southeast Asia and, of course, Malaysia might be shaping up going forward. This is BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, welcome back to The Property Show, the weekly program where we discuss all things real estate. This week, we have Daniel Ho, the Group Managing Director of International Real Estate Technology Group, Jui IQI. Now, Daniel, before the pandemic, mainland Chinese tourists were the main driver for that sector, which quickly dried out once international borders shut for about two years. For China, it was three years, one extra year for them. How badly did this impact the real estate market in our region? 
mainland Chinese buyers has been significant, but in terms of percentage ratio, is actually a very small percentage. Okay. Before pandemic, you are looking at probably in a do- domestic market, it constitute about say five to seven percent of the entire property transaction. But right after pandemic, uh, it basically dry up. It has no bearings at all. You know, mm. you you have this segment that was practically taken out. You know, uh, during the pandemic and moving towards pre-pandemic, you have maybe a slight interest in addition, but more so driven by enterprises. So it come back to probably by another 1.5% to 2.5% in terms of buying constitution compared to the entire local transaction volume. Pre-pandemic, where in Southeast Asia do they seem to be more focused on which particular country? Can't be Singapore, right? Because it's like really expensive. Uh, Singapore is out of the picture <laughs> ever since the Singapore government instituted the uh, increase in stamp duty by the factor of 60%. That is driving out mm-hmm. a lot of foreign interest. But you are looking at Malaysia definitely is one of the top three choices. Thailand is one of the top three choices as well as Indonesia. We can see that in Malaysia, country gardens, forest city came to be known as a ghost city. Were there any other places that were just as extreme in this region? In this region, uh, I don't see any other. But I would say Country Garden, the revitalization of Country Garden is potentially going to take place very soon. Looking at some of the news that was being announced where potentially there could be a special economic zone within Johor. That's going to definitely drive up demand. And on top of that, we have also started to see a lot of interest picking up for country gardens by local buyers. And we have been transacting country gardens properties and the buyers, surprisingly, are Malaysian locals. So there's hope for it. There is absolutely hope for it. In this region, I don't see any other countries in this region where Chinese developers seem to be as you know ambitious as what they've done in Forest City, right? Why do you think that is? Chinese developers, typically their DNA is massive and big and fast. In China, when you look into China, a typical launch will constitute 40 towers, 40 buildings. And that's just one launch. Yeah, I, I, I do remember they literally built a replica of Paris in, in China as oh well. Oh my goodness, yes. <laughs> they, they can do everything. Sky is the limit. But I think to a certain extent, those extravagant projects is being you know brought back to reality. I think that's a good thing. But because of the sheer size of growth in China and the demographic that's so big, it's very common for any one development to just launch 40 towers at one go. And this is absolutely unheard of in Malaysia. And the same, you know, uh, they use the same model when they came into Malaysia. Tech is not so sustainable, but I think a reality check. Since we were talking about Chinese buyers, I just want to share with you an anecdote I discovered from some friends who, who tried to buy property in Australia, Sydney and Melbourne in the past couple of years. It was... It was insane. The prices were almost unattainable because from the conversations they had with real estate consultants over there was that Chinese investors seem to be spending their money with a vengeance. I mean, we're talking about revenge spending, right? And mm-hmm. that seemed to be the case over there. Your, your, your thoughts on it? I don't think so. These are hearsay. Right. And uh, on the minority cases, it could be true. Uh, I think uh, during pre-COVID, you know, there is a lot of Chinese interest buying into Australia. And in terms of at that moment, uh, we do know that in terms of auction, when a property is being called for for auction, the Chinese will outbid everybody else. (laughs) 
But having said that, uh, now that's not the, the case because uh, during pandemic and even after pandemic, uh, the Chinese interest is, is, is absent in the market. Okay. But still, the property prices in Australia has been climbing steadily. I think there is, uh, there is a mismatch between the demand and supply, whereby supply isn't sufficient to you know, cater for the, the oncoming demand. Uh, why uh, is that so? Uh, you, you are looking at, on the, this year alone, you are looking at probably about 500,000 of new immigrants that is coming over to Australia. A majority of these people are from India and not China. And these are absolutely driving demands. And these are coming from any city that is from India, Growing Pakistan, and, yeah. and, and China is among, among them, but they are of a smaller group. And uh, these are your, what you call your permanent residents and citizens of different ethnic. And this, this, this sort of demand is too big for the supply, you know, currently, because there has been a, a disruption after, right after COVID in terms of supply. Today for Southeast Asia, Juai IQI's ranking puts Indonesia as the main offshore destination of choice for Chinese investment. Malaysia is third. Uh, what does this survey tell us? Because I think in previous years, we were, Malaysia and Indonesia, in fact, were quite low in the, the rankings, right? What happened? Mm. Malaysia and Indonesia have been still among the considered top five destinations for Chinese. But I think uh, of recent uh, uh, findings, you know, based on our survey, Indonesia have creeped up quite fast. I think this is a reflection of the economic relationship between these two countries because after all, Chinese is the the Chinese is the largest trading partner for Indonesia and it constitutes about 20, 22% of the entire Indonesia GDP. And what I'm seeing is there is there is a strong interest from Chinese companies to solidify that relationship by setting up their offices, by yeah. setting up their operation in Indonesia. And hence, you know, when you, you, you buy into a plot of land, you build a factory over in Indonesia, you absolutely need residential. You need to buy residential for your people as well. So the property uh, interest is absolutely picking up in Indonesia. And Indonesia has been very open about foreign purchases of late. They come up with very friendly policies to allow foreigners to buy uh, is there any are there any particular cities in Indonesia that seem to be the focus for these investors? We are looking at uh, the top two, basically Surabaya and uh, in, uh, Jakarta itself. What about Malaysia? Where are they focused on? Malaysia will focus around all the economic zone that we have, uh, industrial parks that we we currently have. Like say, for example, when you look at the E and E sector, uh, you are looking at Penang and potentially you know Shah Alam. You are looking at manufacturing, you know Batu Wharf as well as you know, uh, Shah Alam, and then even uh, on the southern part, Johor as well. So we have uh, all in all about 500 plus industrial park. Mm -hmm. And and uh, on the east coast as well, there's a lot of interest in the Kuantan area, Kulim area. So all these things is really perking up a lot of interest from Chinese investors. So like just now you said, Daniel, that Indonesia has a lot of investor-friendly policies that, that try to attract people here. Do you see anything similar from Malaysia since, you know, we are competing for this almost the same mm -hmm. uh, market, right? Mm -hmm. I think, uh, yes, we are also very friendly. Mm -hmm. I think Mal Malaysia, I would say, have an advantage over many countries because uh, one of the key key components is Malaysian generally they speak multiple languages. Mm. And uh, in terms of culture, there is a lot of similarity, you know, uh, between Malaysian culture and the Chinese culture. The Chinese actually feel at home here in Malaysia quite, quite comfortably. 
And uh, on top of that, we have amazing infrastructure. We have uh, excellent, uh, you know, supply chain, you know, that helps company to really do well and springboard uh, to the rest of the region. So I think Malaysia uh, is absolutely among their favourite destination. Having said that also, I mean, our local currency, the ringgit, isn't exactly the best performing currency in the region, indeed the world maybe. Do you see this as an attraction that might, or something that might turn off potential property investors? I mean, it's a double-edged sword, right? I mean, you can't, when you repatriate your money, it's not going to be worth as much, but it's cheap to buy stuff here. Yes, uh, you are absolutely uh, spot on, you know, it is a double-edged sword. Uh, our ringgit has been uh, depreciating against the RMB and even the Sing dollar, you know, uh, in a big way. You know, but uh, investors always try to buy low. Mm-hmm. And uh, what more now when the ringgit is so cheap? And they, they always buy in anticipation of the market movement in, in the long term. Uh, there is there is anticipation that the ringgit w- would be strengthening. Fingers crossed. So, yeah, <laughs> this is what they are doing. Uh, but I think currency aside, I think uh, at the end of the day, uh, people invest where there is market. People invest where there is a growth potential. And, and Malaysia is absolutely, uh, offers, has a lot to offer. Uh, what is Juai IQI seeing by way of inquiries by foreigners uh, who, are, who might be interested in buying Malaysian properties? Are you seeing an acceleration of it? Foreigners, uh, the absolutely, uh, is coming in, but not in 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 big way. Mm-hmm. I think uh, um, many of them, oh, do, right after the COVID pandemic, there has been a slowdown in the entire region, China included. So there has been a slowdown in transaction. There has been a slowdown in transaction all across the countries. But I think uh, the ever since traveling has been opened up mm-hmm. that give a lot of uh, potential for, for this interest uh, we see that there is an uptick in terms of interest in terms of inquiries happening in every single country as uh, businessmen entrepreneurs start to you know travel a lot more uh, potentially moving forward to 2024 they, they absolutely we, we foresee that you know there's going to be an increase in interest for property here's hoping that that's true Daniel thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with us this morning thank you my pleasure to be here on the property show this week we spoke with Daniel Ho, the Group Managing Director of International Real Estate Technology Group, IQI. If you've missed any part of this conversation, you can always catch up with it on the BFM app that's available on the Apple App Store and Google Play. You can also listen to it on the BFM.my website. We are also available on Spotify. I'm Keith Kam for BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.